Episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, and the well-traveled, also Mike, co-host, also Mike, on the line as well. We have another Oscar race checkpoint for you today. A lot of news and information. Uh, also, Mike did his two weekends of the New York Film Festival. We're going to start with some of that, but the majority of your travels and your uh, your journeys and your stories <laughs> from your your life out there, and boy, do you have some stories, is going to be held for a second episode this week, Mike. Yeah, I think we should focus uh, for for part one of this two-part Oscar race checkpoint, and we'll give you the Oscar-related goods, I would say, and we'll tease, we'll tease, like like all these good trailers, we'll mm. tease some of the fun stories. So this will be, be part two of my New York Film Festival experiences, but I'll keep a lot of the reviews because there's... So much to talk about for Bones and All and Decision to Leave and After Sun and and uh, and the Smith my my uh, fun time at the Smith for some apple pie French toast. It looked delicious. It looked absolutely delicious. The uh, the picture. It was good, but it it was even better because it it was like a conversation starter, and I made a friend (laughs) over it. So that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. And but look at I we we have uh, we have uh, Tar, which is just we got to talk about Tar. It's, it's a huge Oscars movie. There's no question about it. So the, we'll start things off with that. We'll get into some Oscar trailers for Women Talking, Till, etc. We'll get into some, hopefully, Oscar trailers for Halloween Ends and uh, some, some fun movies that we want to talk right, about. best picture contender as far as I'm concerned, that's for sure. Maybe not what other people would consider an Oscars trailer, but we, of course, do here. Idiots. Idiots. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we got to talk about, like I said, Glass Onion release, box office stuff too in here. It's just, there's too much to do in one episode. So we may actually do three this week, uh, yeah. as, as we uh, joked about last week, but uh, we might we, we might try. So uh, we're going to preview, I guess, the New York Film Festival full episode that is to come. And this will probably be close to the format we have because you are the one that has seen everything and has all the information. So it's basically going to be me listening to you and kind of interviewing you and asking you questions along the way. Please. Uh, but let's start with, uh, I guess, the food. What was the appetizer? What, what set the t- <laughs> let's set the table for Tar here. So I go to the shops at Columbus Circle. And I've been wanting to do this for years because this is David Chang's place and he's like a ringer podcaster. Yeah. He's a big personality on like the food network. Bill Simmons needs to just hire us already. I mean, how many times are we going to give this guy free publicity? But go ahead. And he has a ramen place, David Chang, Momofuku. Uh, and I love a good ramen, especially on a cold, rainy day. Yeah. So I was going to do PJ Clark's. I was. And like every train ride I go up there, I'm like, all right, I'm going to PJ Clark's and I'm going to order the chicken sandwich and I'm going to order the mac and cheese. And then I'm like, oh, but it's really rainy out. And I want to I've always wanted to do this or I always wanted to do that. And I I had to say to myself, like, this is perfect ramen weather. Were you in a long tan trench coat with a fedora and like in a noir (laughs) movie? I feel like that's that set the scene. Did you eat that in black and white? I uh, I ate it in full color because okay. the colors were gorgeous. Like the presentation <laughs> at this ramen place, the the p- few pictures I took don't do it justice. But the pork buns, oh my god, the textures, Michael, the textures. Like you got this bao bun, 
but then you have like, and it's like this perfect little sandwich type bao bun. How do they do it? Like, I've had bao now from a couple places, and it's always so pillowy everywhere. I don't understand how everyone is so good at that. It, it's the Pixar Pixar short that we wanted to eat from the yeah. very beginning of that Pixar short, and uh, we get to eat it in real life every time we go to to get some ramen. And I, I'm a, I just want to go. Every every time I overeat at a ramen place because I overorder the pork you have buns. To. But you, you have, have to, yeah, you have to, you have okay. to overeat. Like if you just ate them as a meal, right. you could have what eight, nine, like to I, fill up. The bows. I, yeah. If I had nine bows, I think I would be throwing up. But you, we've established. I think we've established <laughs> good and well by now that our while we're both big men, mm-hmm. oh, trying to slim down, but we're both big men. Your dietary habits outshine I, my stomach. Just can't keep up. Well, I do, I am the stunt double for Adam Richmond. Not that I really <laughs> you want to really the, the <laughs> of man, all the comparisons you've made for yourself, you really are that. Yes, I look exact like if you see me in person. <laughs> now I have a big bushy beard. Yeah, you know, cue the uh, cue the what's the Edgar Wright movie? Oh gosh, start it. Yeah, I'm Gonna doing start this. hot, starting hot and heavy. Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright movie, but uh, big bushy beard. <laughs> I have no idea what you're referencing, but I'm oh glad. Oh my god, it's my brother's favorite movie. Every time I hang out with my brother Daniel, Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz. Right. Oh my god, I watched that movie a hundred times, and his big bushy beard. So now I have a big bushy beard, but otherwise, underneath is the face of Adam yes. Richmond. How do I Absolutely. know this? People come up to me, and it's Literally. happened more than once. Yes. At diners at the end of the night, drunk people come up to me and go, "You're you're the man versus food." Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you've not seen Also, Mike, I, the first time I saw Adam <laughs> Richmond, I texted Mike and I was like, "This is this is you." This is, this is I me. mean, I didn't know you had a, a Food Network show. <laughs> now that being said, it's for another another night, but uh, another movie, not Tar. You had multiple stunt doubles walk into Alice yeah. Hall. <laughs> I wanted to te- like, I wish yes. my phone worked. I would have texted you. There was definitely one at the tar screen. I'm like, that's Mike's stunt double number one. It was but just me in disguise. That dude was there. <laughs> that dude was there, plus like the evolution of man posters that we see at museums <laughs> yep. of yep. you walked in. Like just multiple sexy Polish men, <laughs> giant bear men. Oh, don't you try to ingrain yourself to the Polish people after what you said about us last episode. I know Guys what you're trying to do here. that look like polka band leaders. Lead singers. You could be a polka band lead singer. The dude that looked like he was in a you know a a, a band from uh, what's the indie rock bands that we grew up with in the the, the late two thousands. Mm-hmm. He should mm-hmm. not be a polka band singer. This dude. I I, I, I still I, I I I stick to what I said. You're hung up on that. Even I knows slightly. What kind of podcast are we doing? What kind of podcast are we doing <laughs> is a great question. We got to talk about Tar because Kate Blanchett just took a stranglehold on the lead actress category. And maybe Nina Haas uh, just got herself a, a supporting actress nomination. Yeah. But, Mike, I, I think Tar is going to be a major player in a lot of uh, categories. It's going to be the critical favorite for sure. And I, it's my highest grade of the festival so far, B plus 89. Maybe I should even ramp that up. It's uh, it, it's such a performance piece that you're almost tempted to put it in that cat kind of that in that lane in a way. Mm-hmm. However, I, I think it's just something that's going to be very accessible as a best picture contender. It's going to be an original screenplay nominee. Just put that down in 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 pen. So so you have Kate Blanchett, 
original screenplay in pen right now. And then I, I would thank Nina Haas in supporting actress. Uh, is, she's got as good a chance as anybody. And then best picture for sure. Uh, I wonder about uh, editing because it's really a, a smooth composition for something like this. Now, what is it going to do with mainstream audiences? I would say Tar, and I agree with Eric Weber on this point, it's very accessible as a story, and I do not get the ambiguity conveyed by all of these critics after opening weekend. Like, this is a movie I watch, and I'm like, I, okay, he is he is very clear about what he's saying about the Me Too movement, about this heavy subject matter, and so is she. Like, Kate Blanchett is playing the subtext as... In a, in, a, in a clear in a clear enough way to the point where you're like, all right, we don't want to leave interpretation to chance. Can you and, and it's expand on, on what the stance is without giving anything away, or is it one of those things where you have to watch it to see it? I think you want to watch it to see it, but I think the the subtext is the facade of this person, of this cult of personality, of this celebrity, of this of this person with a worldwide following that you can't imagine would do such things, right? Mm. This is the premise of the film Tar. She's playing that in the text, and then the subtext, to me, is how she's lying to herself. You know, and I think that's the genius of this film. It's we're watching We're watching a character study about a person lying to themselves. For the entirety of the film. And so it, is this a... I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a less crude way to put this, but is this just another Harvey Weinstein movie? It's a Yeah, that, that's why it's so strange that there's like this tickled pink giddy celebration over Kate Blanchett yeah. for this particular character. I think this is like the scuzziest character she's ever played, which is... I mean, she's played some... some complicated characters but because of the complexity you have you you have a, a celebration over the performance and it, and it's she's doing so many things it's next level it's on the level to me of a fast bender and steve jobs of a daniel day lewis and phantom thread to give some recent examples and, and it's that kind of intensity for two and a half hours and you cannot look away you cannot look away from her in any one scene unless Nina Haas is maybe on the on the same screen with her and it's just one of those completely mesmerizing performances that's going to go down in history I would think and it's not like this typical Oscar grabby one either like she doesn't have the emotional blowout save for maybe one ironic scene in the film and and it's it's one of those nuanced performances that you're just going to want to study in many ways but is it ambiguous hell no i i don't i didn't find it ambiguous at all it's easy to read in my opinion is it i mean we know the academy's track record having to deal with characters who they want to root for versus characters who are usually the the villains let's say of the story are easier for the academy to recognize in the supporting categories not so much the lead is this a case where i mean obviously you do you are going to have your hannibal lectors throughout history but is this a hannibal lecter type performance like is it is it a character who's intriguing and draws you in enough even though they are quite despicable i think Kate blanchett somehow like threads the needle with this one 
because and Todd Field for that matter and the script because the message is clear because like there's no ambiguity in the message to the point where we're like wondering if we should side with this character even mm-hmm. though we're we're empathizing and sympathizing to this character because we have no choice we're stuck with her for two and a half hours that being said there's no moral ambiguity in this story and I, that's why I'm, I'm i'm listening to critics who are so tickled pink with Kate blanchett as a movie star perhaps and as an oscar celebrity because she's one of those unique you know two-time winners that's been nominated eight times that's about you know or going for her eighth or going cinematic for cinematic royalty total cinematic she, royalty she is cinephile royalty yeah and she charms the pants off of everybody at these film festivals and on every red carpet so i understand all the mommy tweets <laughs> they're funny but like for this movie, like the tone is just bizarre to me. Well, you and- also have to take into account that coming off of "Don't Worry, Darling," when Swell was on here talking about how the, there's a, a a hardcore youth sect that sees that movie and it's like, oh boy, I wish I was Florence Pugh with Harry Styles acting the way he was in that. So <laughs> yeah. there is a tendency to uh, an immaturity about some of this in uh, in some aspects in some areas of life. But I don't know that that group necessarily is the are the ones seeing tar at film festivals either. So I, I can understand your concern at the same time. I, I think the Academy is going to look at a composition like tar and they're going to say, this is the correct way to handle it, and this is the perfect way to act it. And it, it's really, it's really going to be hard to compete with in this award season. Now, I wonder about the identity politics. I wondered about that going in, because we're going to have, we're going to have women backed and women fronted projects. I was going to say, thank God, deal with we this. finally yeah. got the perspective of a white man to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly you know so like women talking and and she said they're going to deal with this head on in their own way and uh, and we're going to we're going to talk about women talking next but i would be yeah i, I wonder how how the academy is going to deal with the 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 three huge contenders well, the Academy remains to be seen. We do have a little insight into how the critics, at least, are handling this. The top ones, we're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about at least, how Gold Derby is ranking these movies, not only with Tar, but with the uh, contender trailers we have coming up. But Kate Blanchett is littered all over the Gold Derby rankings, probably to no one's surprise. Of the 22 experts on Gold Derby, she is in 21 top fives right now. She holds the number one spot in 12 of those 21 top five rankings she's in. Uh, Todd Field is in, I, I miscounted, it's either 12 or 13 top fives. Nina Haas is only in four for supporting actress. Hmm. Um, as far as screenplay goes, that's the, the screenplay for Tar ranks in 15 of the 22 top fives. And Tar right now sits in 19 of the 22 top tens for best picture. So it's, at least according to Gold Derby, and it's still early, it's still only the second week of October now, but... At least according to Gold Derby, Kate Blanchett would seem to be the most serious threat. It would seem like its best picture chances are second because it is so strong in so many other serious categories like you've mentioned here. Todd Field is being taken very seriously. The screenplay is taken very seriously. Nina Haas, I, I saw a lot of love for her on Twitter. I'm surprised to see she's only in uh, a, a smattering of top fives thus far. I could see her being an Academy pick, though. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't get boxed out by just huge competition from... From the women talking, and that is such a weak field right now. At least it's it's an well, un an un substantial, undefined, field. yeah, an undefined yeah. field. I think it's a strong. It's gonna be a strong field with some big names yeah, at the end. Yeah, but it, it, you're right. The 
it hasn't developed. Questionable yet. feelings and, more more apt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there might be ten or twelve contenders at the end of the day, but you're, I think she's going to be in in the mix because this movie is gonna hit. It's gonna strike the right chords with uh, certainly the 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 cinematic elite and the industry elite, and it's doing so at the film festivals. It's the biggest talking point right now. I mean, I'm I'm walking out of that theater to go home and again on the subway. And the number of gushing conversations that I couldn't help but overhear mm. that it, t- it got to the point because I usually turn like on a podcast yep. or an audiobook or something as I walk out. But I got so curious about like overhearing the buzz. It, 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 the word of mouth was just spreading right there on the city streets. Are you, have like you walking, taken walking out. A, a bit mm-hmm. of a turn? Because I felt like your initial reaction upon seeing Tar and upon leaving the theater was that you were not enamored. I mean, you were enamored with the performance, but you were at least questioning why this was getting so much love. Have you, has that turned a little bit for you? Do you understand more so now, or you still have those questions? I'm questioning the tone. No, I'm questioning the tone of the love because this to me should be like a sobering conversation after the movie. Like this character is, we, we saw it with Idris Elba and, and the Netflix movie all those years ago. Like this character is so, it's so she's so charming in the in the cult of personality that phrase that I keep mentioning, but she's also just Harvey Weinstein. Mm. Like we know that's going in, we know who, what we're dealing with going in to Tar. This is going to be a Me Too movement drama, and yet we're we're stuck re- with this character for the entire film. Now we have to have others like Nina Haas draw her out, and that's why Nina Haas's character is so pivotal to this plot and her scenes crack open the story so that's why i'm thinking like someone like her is going to be the beneficiary at the end of the day for a movie this popular at least right now i think in new york and la and and with the critics like this is going to be the critics choice darling this is going to be the critics awards darling Mm. and at least by, by, by my count at the moment and we'll see how other pundits talk about it but clayton davis has has it fourth and picture third and director second in actress by the way third in supporting actress first in original screenplay ninth in cinematography seventh film editing seventh in original score which is sparse which and it's that's a strange strange pick to me otherwise i could i could see i could see this being an academy player like i think back to like the capotes you know movies like that sure. That this the Todd Field has been an Academy darling going back right. right to in the bedroom and even though Little Children didn't do as well and I understand how that happened because that was just kind of a strange narrative, but yeah, like the, the to me I contend with the tone of the 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 film Twitter glee mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just doesn't make sense to me like I, I figured I are we're gonna have the serious discussions after a film like Tar. And maybe that's a bummer. And I I hate having to be the one with the scolding tone right now <laughs> because I also want to just join the parade sometimes. But I'm the one listening to the parade out in the streets and just trying to do my homework <laughs> as a student. You know, <laughs> that's how I feel. Uh, in the in you know, and you're just kind of in my room closing the shutters. Bob you know? Cratchit still toiling away on December 24th while everyone else. Exactly, yeah, I got you. All right, which is a comfortable place for you and I when it's the two of us doing as much. Right. So that's what we misery enjoys that kind mm-hmm. of company. But I do, I do hope, 
I do hope that there are the substantive conversations after the film festival love because this was a movie to study and we, we may have to do that even though I'm taking 20 minutes to, <laughs> to kick off that teaser right now for us yeah uh, well it's certainly something that uh, I'm going to have to get my hands on and watch and to Kate Blanchett if nothing else is going to be a player all throughout the award season so it's something we'll be talking about and keep talking about we can move on to some of those contending trailers we've teased and you said it Mike woman talking we finally got our first look at it yeah Orion MGM this is December 2nd I'm bummed that I'm not going to see women talking at the New York Film Festival every single screening it has number one they're like three and six o'clock so you're killing me I can't make those no matter when Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm kind of doing the nights and weekends thing right now but fine I'll watch your trailer and I'll be completely, completely just hooked because the music of this trailer is in my head and won't leave. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 performances are magnetic. Rudy Mara's face, and it's fascinating that she's going lead here, and certainly Claire Foy's passion in that one moment. Jesse Buckley is drawing you into, you know the the. How how aggravate beyond aggravation. I mean, it's just like this. How are people not understanding the level and the severity of what's happening here and the seriousness of the situation? She's pleading with uh, the other women in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's intense. It's absolutely intense. And you mentioned all those big names, and along those lines, my first take when I watched this trailer was like, "There's so many powerful women in this. There's so many women standing up and like having these deep conversations, these meaningful conversations." How is Sir Sharon and not casting this? Oh yeah, like does, it's does, definitely this, her generation. This is absolutely yeah. a Sir Sharon and movie. I have no idea how she's not in the middle of this. It was her Rooney Mara, I guess. <laughs> I think uh, I think Mennonite communities. <laughs> I don't know if our Irish, the the fixture, did they come from? She could have put on an accent. It would have been fine. The the Scottish are represented. Michelle McLeod has that silent scream in this trailer, overlaid by the the few chords. Yeah, very haunting. Yeah, I I I think. I think I'm I'm really intrigued by the posturing of these actresses. We all thought it was going to be a Frances McDormand mm-hmm. vehicle, but now this is... The, and then we thought it was going to be an ensemble vehicle and nobody was going to go lead. And now we see like Rooney Mara is going to be kind of postured in lead. And then we have Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley seemingly in, in supporting. But you could totally see a movie like this and then just like an unknown actress like a Michelle McLeod just popping. Yeah, and it's, it's being... S- position that way which i think is a smart play for the advertising i mean you're kind of giving a level playing field at least with this first trailer so maybe it's levying expectations too so you go in with i'll just see what happens and then you can pick and choose if there is one performance that's going to surpass all others maybe you come out because your expectations are so level that one performance can blow you away even more and that gets championed even more so than it would have had you gone in expecting to see something great from the outset like this but as far as this trailer goes Look, I, you could say whoever's going lead and whoever's going supported, It's they're all kind of presented the same here, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't either. And I think the the star of this trailer is also the script and the book, for that matter. I mean, I just bought the book. I wasn't sure if I was going to read it and or, or listen to it because I don't read good anymore. But I, <laughs> I was going to listen to it after I saw the film. Mm-hmm. And now I think, and especially because I'm mad that I, I can't see it early, I, I think I got to listen to it before the, the movie comes out. And maybe that'll be our, our early access uh, that we give you guys is talk about the book a little bit. But like the, 
the lines in this trailer, I mean, poetry for certain and terrifying, uh, terrifying dialogue in other ways, like hope for the unknown is, is good. It's better than hatred for the familiar. Uh, how would you feel if it, in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? Mm. When we've liberated ourselves, we will have to ask ourselves who we are. Some deep shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's an oversimplification of a take, but that, that yeah, there's definitely some dialogue in here that kind of floors you, and that's all you're getting in a trailer too, which you have to think about. Uh, but you you mentioned the dialogue, you mentioned the script, you mentioned Hilder Guadagnino. I, I, Hilders, how I'm going to say it now. <laughs> Oscar winning Hilder Guanadatir <laughs> story. Yeah. I can't yeah. say that name fast, but Hilder's score is phenomenal in this as well, at least in the trailer. As far as how this movie's ranking right now on Gold Derby, there are no noms to be found in the lead actress category amongst the 22 favorites, but supporting is littered. Uh, each of the 22 experts have at least one actress from this film in their top five. 15 of those 22 have two noms from this movie in the supporting actress, each of those with two having both Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy there. But this movie is also shaping up to be a shoo-in for a couple other major categories. Sarah Polly is in 16 top fives for Best Director. Her adapted mm-hmm. screenplay is in 19 such top fives, and it holds the top spot in 17 of those 19 top fives for adapted screenplay that it is in. So this is, at least as far as the experts on Gold Derby are concerned, this is something that's already the favorite in adapted screenplay by a, quite a large margin. Yeah, those are safe bets in, in, in terms of uh, nominations. Will a movie like this take a stranglehold in terms of the winners? That that remains mm-hmm. to be seen. I hope so. Again, Sarah Polly, she's made a great documentary, and she's made one of the key movies in the last 20 years on Alzheimer's and with Away From Her mm. uh, on that uh, on that terrible disease. So she's uh, she's got all the gravitas in the world. The Canadian series Avonlea, thank you, Film Twitter and our, our <laughs> listeners, <laughs> that I didn't realize uh, was Canadian, but I watched it my whole childhood, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just show, uh, dumb Americans. We are dumb. Me most of all. But I, I look at. I can't wait to see this movie. I'm, I am. I am. I was even considering, like I said, just eating the ticket for White Noise. Uh, but I, I got to see White Noise. Yeah. I got to got to hang out with Andrew next Saturday, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I'll, we'll have to wait for this one. December second. Women talking. Uh, let's move on to Till Michael. I, this is another big Oscars conversation because this movie's been playing the festivals. It's been having its L.A. premieres. United Artists, opening wide on October 28th, Till, written and directed by Chinyonye Chukwu, starring Daniel Deadweiler, who's now in the lead actress yeah. conversation, certainly for a nomination, Jalen Hall, Whoopi Goldberg, Frankie Faison, Jamie Lawson, Haley Bennett. This trailer structure is smart, I think, because you're not hooking people with the, the sorrow. It's a call to action in the face of the tragedy that's the bulk of this trailer. It's a hero story if there ever was one with Till. And if this movie is, you know, we're fearing as critics and certainly as, you know, in the Oscar game here, we're fearing the parade of sadness, Mm -hmm. the the trafficking and pain and suffering, especially in, in black pain and suffering that we've seen Hollywood do so often. We're hoping that you know that the marketing of this is going far beyond that it seems to have a bigger message obviously uh just within this trailer alone and it's something that's very prescient and it's like it's of the time it's it's current and it makes a lot of sense and it's an important story to be told uh i'm i'm curious to see what this movie has in store 
how it's going to handle the majority of that story. Uh, I, I thought there was a, some overlap between the first trailer and the second one. They kind of a, mm-hmm. a couple repeat scenes, so I don't think that they're giving all too much away. But I did like in the second trailer that they're showing emotion. Like, there's a mother, like, going crazy that her son has been through this awful yeah. tragedy. And I like... Movies get too reserved sometimes. They don't show, like, ugly crying and, like, the the crazed, what do I do now? Because this awful tragedy befell one of my family members or one of my loved ones. And I like that they show that rawness here in this, uh, in this trailer. And that ratchets up her hero's journey because you see her poise on you know at the funeral right in right. the trailer as well you see her ability exactly. to, 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 to convey show. yeah to, to the to the nation mm-hmm. she's speaking to the nation uh on television and certainly it, with that high of a pro you know that high profile uh news coverage that the story at the time and then the years of activism to follow and the importance of those so till reception till's reception has been strong right now it's not necessarily in a lot of tens for best picture but it's 11th on feinberg's latest forecast chuku is is in the mix for best director ninth in original screenplay 12th in song again that's feinberg but fourth danielle deadweiler's fourth in, in in his lead actresses now and bouncing olivia coleman which I thought was notable, mm. and, and certainly the big names on the outside looking in, especially from the New York Film Festival. Scott has Rooney Mara, Vicky Creeps, and Leia Seydoux all outside, and I could say that from Creeps and, and Seydoux. I mean, what a category it is this year. So, I mean, never. I mean, the the lead actress category at the New York Film Festival yeah. is a, is a great is an all time great five right now for me at Good least point. what I've seen, and never mind. What everybody else uh, has seen, they've seen all the movies. So Till is 100% early Rotten Tomatoes score, 70 Metascore, Michael. I thought there would be maybe an ins- uh, an outside chance for like a Whoopi campaign for uh, supporting actress. I did see some stuff, some people high on her performance in this, but doesn't seem to, to bear out. This is shaping up as maybe one of those movies that's going to be an important movie and a movie that you should watch and everyone should see, but it might fall short of when it comes to oscars time it's only in two top tens right now for best picture danielle deadweiler has made an appearance she has jumped up but at least as far as gold derby goes i think she's only in half of the top fives and she's usually in the bottom of those rankings anyway for best actress so this might fall off at least in terms of you know oscars nominations by the time that the oscars roll around but it doesn't make this movie any less important or any less something that should be seen i'm glad that the film festival Film Festival Circuit is working for Till, and they they I thought they were going to release this right afterwards, because for whatever reason, my AMC app was telling me that this movie was coming out the week later. I even had us, mm-hmm. you know, I even had a, the, the plan for us was to cover this movie, you know, next week, right. you know, bef- before Halloween ends, and... And yeah, it's not it's not going to hit theaters until October twenty eighth, so we'll have to wait until. But I think that's good because it's it's building its buzz, so the the public will get it get their hands on it, and and I, hopefully they're ready. I mean, it's 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 an important movie, like you said, and and it could be important for award season. And this is one of the silver linings of award season when you could see a movie. That that uh, means this much at at this particular time in history, you know, to be able to get a clear eyed lens on yeah. it after what we all you know dealt with and reckoned with over the last few years to, 
you know, to, for the award season apparatus to give a movie like this more attention. That is a good thing, and that is a silver lining. It's a time and, capsule, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's a reflexive of the time, which I always like movies to, to be, especially I like Oscar movies to kind of recognize that and award that as well. But, yeah, it, and it's important, too, for, I mean, there's that cultural aspect of it, but also just in terms of how important it is to play the film festivals. I mean, Daniel Deadweiler probably doesn't get the recognition she does she has right now. She's rubbing shoulders up against right. the Cape Blanchettes of the world because this has played so well at the festivals. Chinonye Chuku can also develop one hell of a performance. Uh, she's sure. done that for Alfre Woodard. Good point. I mean, clemency, and you know, she's handled that uh, subject matter as heavy as it was. You know, one. I mean, Dead Man Walking had the same subject matter. The Sean Penn movie that won Oscars back in the day with Susan Sarandon, right? And same kind of, you know, good point. Uh, at the gallows subject matter uh, that that Chuku handled really well, I thought. And yeah, if anybody can handle Till, it's her. So. Let's uh let's await that film with a serious Oscar lens and uh, let's look at a couple more that have not struck that same chord with me, Michael. A couple from Netflix, The Wonder, The Good Nurse. We'll start with The Wonder from Sebastian Lelio, previous Oscar winner of From a Fantastic Woman. This is the Florence Pugh starrer with uh, the voice of Kieran Hines in this trailer, Emma Donahue's book, 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, 72 Metascore, some good buzz from Tiff in particular from Feinberg and others, but... I'm not seeing it with this trailer. Basically, these the nurse, one of the nuns or one of the priests, this kid is a religious fanatic. One of them are feeding the kid in the middle of the night, right? I mean, that's what's happening. <laughs> Look, there was a time in MMO history where we would take the type of disagreement that this trailer has caused between us and it would like erupt into a huge fight. <laughs> But I guess it's maturity <laughs> that that's no longer the case. But it's also insanely troubling that you're the more cynical one when it comes to this one. <laughs> so you don't. Think... I don't think it's that obvious that that's what's going on. I mean, okay. it, you could be in- entirely right, but I don't think that's given away in this trailer necessarily. The cover of the audiobook is a bent spoon. <laughs> so for years, it intrigued me. I almost bought it so many times. I actually put myself on the waiting list for the book. On 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 library, uh, you know, uh, sites that I could get free books for. So it was always available on the library, but it was always a waiting list. So I was like, all right, I won't buy it because I'll listen to it on the library thing. But I was always intrigued by this by the cover, judging that book by its cover. And now it just seems like a religious zealot claiming manna from heaven. <laughs> Like one that she's only got so many observers observing her around the clock. One of these observers, who is a priest or a nun, is in cahoots wait, and feeding wait, her. Wait, no, let, 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 I mean, so that's the that's the story of this movie is that there is this young girl who has refused <laughs> to eat and hasn't eaten for four months is the word. So they're trying to discover if this is a miracle or what's going on. It's the 1800s. She's going to have round the clock watching by a priest or a nun. They're going to do eight hour shifts. And so you're saying in this giant. Florence Pugh character piece the answer is going to be some nun being the puppet master who is not at all a main character in the story or the trailer or the advertisement in which case if this were to come true essentially all this nun would be doing to Florence Pugh who again is the focus of this movie would be wasting her time Florence Pugh seems to be wasting her time. That that's right. That's correct. <laughs> that's, Didn't we that's say that's gonna be the tar- the big conflict is I don't need to be here. <laughs> Whose movie it was uh it was a Chiwetel Ejiofor film. Uh-huh. He was the uncle. Right. And we never even saw yes, the movie because yes, we watched that trailer <laughs> yeah. and we're like, the uncle did. I agree. That seemed that seemed obvious. <laughs> I'm coming away from this trailer, I'll be like 
uncle, you know, but you're father saying it's Kieran not going to be a main it. character unless you say is Florence Pugh the one that's going to do it. Father Kieran is he a priest in this? If he if he's wearing a collar. <laughs> I'm going to walk into this movie, and then I'm going to immediately walk out of this movie, because I'm going to be like, Father Kieran did it. He's giving her bread. <laughs> He's giving her four-course meals during his eight hours, because that's plenty of time. The spoon is bent because there's so much food on it that he's giving her, that it weighs I... down the spoon and bends it. Yeah. Are those shepherd's pie farts I smell? <laughs> or are you just happy to see me? Let's go to Causeway, which also had its trailer introduced. 824 Apple TV. Jennifer Lawrence, our good, dear, longtime best friend, David slash Brian Tyree Henry. Inside joke, since we totally just started calling him David Tyree Henry a couple episodes ago until we realized our mistake far too late. Uh, yeah, Leela Neugbauer also in this. Yeah, I have it on good authority, though, that his nickname is actually Helmet Catch right. Tyree. Hell, H.C. to his Henry. friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this trailer starts with intensity, kind of ends with with the hope of a promising relationship, whatever, if it's friend zone or whatever, we don't care. But we, we want to see David Tyree give Jennifer Lawrence hugs, don't we? I mean, he's... The, you you wrote that I want to yeah I want to give David take. Tyree Henry Brian Tyree Henry a hug I mean his character is somebody that <laughs> I want to I want to nestle up with he seems very caring and very loving I, there are positives in this trailer right I mean she's someone that's uh, it's coming back from war it seems she's suffering from some kind of PTSD he's trying to help her through it it's a very good score I thought it stuck with me after I was done watching the trailer <laughs> I'm just thinking of posing David. Tyree's hands <laughs> behind his head like he's holding a football. Like if I if there was ever a romantic scene between mm-hmm. a Giants fan and and David Tyree, it would be like this slow <laughs> in a movie, posing his hands behind his head before the makeout session. Okay. Yeah, that would be the scene. That would be the beautiful scene. Oh. And now I'm just I'm in my brain mm. that man has Brian Tyree Henry's face. And Careless Whisper playing. That's the soundtrack to yeah. That's, that's yes. what I got in my head from that. <laughs> We should write a movie. We're, we're such dorks. <laughs> we're, such, we're such. Hey, we're four and one right now. We're four and one. <clears throat> the, the, but look, at, I mean, this trailer seems to be something that could be kind of down the middle. Uh, this movie that is the story. It's based on, you know, something that maybe both sides of the aisle could get behind. You know, a soldier getting over PTSD, right? It's got some love and some Oscars legs, too. So, yeah, it seems like it's not going to play one side versus the other. I mean, maybe it does. Who knows what that means? But I only Brian Tewart of USA Today lists Jennifer Lawrence and his lead actress top five on Gold Derby. Uh, but Brian Tyree Henry has a little bit better showing. He's on five top fives for supporting actor. He does hold one number one slot in that category. So this could have some kind of appeal as far as an awards magnet goes. And to do that, yeah, maybe it's playing more down the middle than we would expect. I don't know. I don't think anything's down the middle these days, to be honest. Yeah, that's probably true. Anyway, good fit festival uh, reception, though. 86% on 29 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, last I checked. And, you know, we got a charming, simple, quiet story that could play well on an Apple TV Plus, that could fit their brand, like I was saying, even sure. if, uh, you know, even if certain fans of this actor think of, you know. Super Bowl 42. Super Bowl 42 yeah. catches. Nice yeah. to see Jennifer Lawrence back in our lives, though. She That's got true. screwed out of the mother. That was the best performance of 2017. 
It was pretty good. Whatever it was. Uh, Speaking of Oscar players, (laughs) M. Night Shyamalan has a new movie coming out. This one looks good. I can say that about every first trailer this man has ever released for a project. True. True. However, we, we got... We got quintessential notes of a thriller being hit in this trailer. Like they, you got the sing along <laughs> in the car ride over to this cabin mm-hmm. where there will be a knock. I mean, singing boogie shoes like that. I don't know if that's the title of the song or just the chorus, but my, it's my, just adorable. My, my, my boogie shoes. And that kid is this this precocious little genius of an actress in this trailer alone. Uh, forgive me, I didn't look up her name, but she's. Yeah, she's doing a great her job. Her and Dave and then... Bautista should remake Frankenstein. <laughs> I mean, you're right there, you're he, right. Yeah, he <laughs> he could be the monster and she could be the little girl and I would watch it. Absolutely. And this is a terrifying home invasion premise that he just lays out there with that one line of dialogue that I hope is in some of the first scenes of the film. Like I hope these are the first 3 scenes of the they film, have don't to you? Be, right? They have to be. Especially with Shyamalan, you know how much he loves his twist in the third act, second and third act. So I would think that's what we're getting. This is Knock at the Cabin, by the way. I don't know if we said that. That's the name of this movie. Uh, Universal, I think it was Universal. I'm pretty sure anyway, went like so far as to tease the trailer on Twitter. They just had this countdown clock and they just had this picture of the inside of the cabin. You saw a shadowy figure through the windows and somebody kept knocking and it got louder and louder and louder. And that was up for hours before this trailer dropped. So they seem to have some kind of hope for this. Look, I said this on Twitter too. My first instinct was like, how does M. Night Shyamalan get so much money from major studios? But his stuff still makes money. They they all make money. They're, they make a surprising amount yeah. of money, according to us, because we sometimes... <laughs> Get disappointed by the films when they're they're hit and miss. Old was bad. Honest. Old was. But terrible. I saw it in theaters because <laughs> <laughs> so, we had to. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean he he does great on you after a few after a few misfires in a row, to which he did to us in in the, in the mid 2010s, sure. right? With happening and to the point where I did not see the visit in, in theaters. I still haven't see seen it. I, I and I want to. That's when that one was reviewed well. So, but he was coming back with Split, and then the vi- or the the visit. I forget which one came first, and uh, yeah, this is this is must see movie going because of this trailer. That's why we cover these things, don't we? They kind of I mean, I, they, they they shouldn't have cast someone as intimidating as Batista. I don't think because if Dave Batista shows up at my front door and was like, "You have to kill a family member because we're here to stop the apocalypse," like, bye, mom, <laughs> bye, dad. <laughs> What am I going to do? Fight the fucking thing from the Fantastic Four in real life who's in front of me? Like, of course I'm going to listen to him. Yeah. Uh, Is it less, is it scarier or less scary that, uh, that Ron Weasley is? Yes. Oh, I love that. Rupert Grint gets some psycho, uh, (laughs) some little uh, crazy eyes in this. He plays what we think is a bad guy. We have no idea what's going on. There's a group of four people who are just showing up and being like, we got to kill. We got to kill a family member because the apocalypse is coming. Okay. Yeah, we have we have Jonathan Groth. Uh, let me get some of these yeah. names down. Jonathan Groth and Ben Aldridge. They're Andrew and Eric. We have Dave Bautista as Leonard. Leonard scare me, don't they? Le- Lenny. Oh, <laughs> Rupert Grint, Nikki Amuka Bird from from. Uh, uh, I always remember her from Luther. Okay. She, uh, and then who else? Oh, the kid Kristen Cooey. Oh, who, there was one. Other, oh, Abby Quinn. Abby Quinn's always in stuff that weirds me out. Abby Quinn 
Lan- uh, Radium Girls. This is turning into Also Mike Reads IMDb. Is that what we're doing? Also Mike Reads IMDb. <laughs> Little Women. She was in Little Women. Oh, Shit House. She was in Shit oh, House. Okay. She weird. Okay. I'm thinking of ending things. She was in, I think, all right, I'm, uh, look it. So I, she's got I, the I weird vindicated. movie pedigree already. She was one of the ice cream girls, and I'm thinking of ending there things. There you go. I knew her face weirded me out, and it does. <laughs> Would you try to fight Dave Batista? What, if, what under these do? circumstances if Dave Batista was in front of you what would be your, would you try to fight him what you just have to go straight for the balls it's true right that's true I think yeah that's your that's your I only move yeah that's your only move mm. you have to double him over no but you're, you're you're but then he's killing you worse oh yeah you're dead I mean you're not getting out of there <laughs> but you'd have a couple seconds a couple seconds of hope before the wrath of the animal. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I mentioned funny games, but you you scoffed at that idea. I mean, this yeah, it's funny so games. If Michael Pitt was doing nothing but steroids for the three years leading up to funny games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't wait for Knock at the Cabin, cabin, and it's destined to disappoint me. Isn't can't it? Can't wait. Can't wait for, for that, that and the disappointment. I agree. <laughs> well, we we have a much better track record, I would say, with this next trailer. And this next franchise, Halloween ends. We got to do a Deadpool, not that one. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about who we think will live and die with Halloween ends. But let's first open with the trailer, Michael. And we get a lot, you know, I think this is a a sign of good things to come because we get a lot of repeated uh, footage, right, from the the initial trailer that we reviewed in its own episode. Yes, but this is this movie's, what, third or fourth trailer at this point, right? Yes, so this is the final trailer. And there's a couple of, of things that struck me, but w- let's start with your thoughts. Well, I mean, my first thought is John Carpenter did not have to go this hard on the music. I mean, <laughs> gee, this is like Phil Collins doing Tarzan levels of unnecessary <laughs> maestro. Like, he was, this is unreal how good this song is. The the Halloween mm. piano making it all serious for the finale stuff. So is he in a candlelit room of just, not candlelit, is he in a, a pumpkin a jack-o'-lantern lit room when he writes this stuff. I what, genuinely, genuinely wonder. The more I watch John Carpenter talk about movie making Halloween, I think he's a guy who hates this franchise. Oh, like I, I think he like he loves what it does for him, and he loves the money, and he's made that very clear. And I don't mean that cynically. Like there's a there's an interview that I saw going viral where he was at some con convention, some panel, and he said, "You know what I love about Halloween? Every time that gets greenlit, I get a phone call." And a big giant check lands in my hand. <laughs> like, but I think he's a guy who like he strikes me as someone who has resentment towards being tied to this so much that like it's it's kind of handicapped him wanting to do other kinds of film throughout his life. But that said, because he is this 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 miserable guy, I obviously I love those types of people. So he's kin to me. I wish I could say the same thing every time somebody would mention the Oscars and uh a big fat right. check would fall into my hands. Right. It'd be but, nice. Uh, it hasn't happened. <laughs> nice. No, I think uh, I, I think Jamie Lee Curtis's interviews and is is quite the you know the uh, the check on Mr. Carpenter because and, and yeah, I, I agree I mean with that. that. I agree with that. Be- going every at. time she gets interviewed, Michael, I get so excited. Yeah. I have to click on it on Twitter. I mean, she actually cut off one of these fluffy puff piece kind of, uh, you know, uh, press junket type of interviews that I, we, I swear, I never want to fucking ever do one of them. 
because, oh, what does this movie mean to you? No, th- this guy asks uh, kind of this banal question, mm-hmm. and she just like goes back at him. He's like, you know what? It is real to me. It's not fake. It's real to me, and it's real to you guys at home because you care about Laurie Strode. You care, and you have real feelings for her, and you know what? She is me. We are the same person. Laurie Strode and I grew up together. We're the same, and I I care about how you guys receive this movie. It it means everything to me. And I was just like almost in tears yeah. watching this two o'clock at night. I couldn't fall asleep because I got home late from the festival. I got no sleep because of probably that little snippet that I clicked on on Twitter. You don't get that from I mean I mean you're starting to more now with nostalgia being as marketable as it as studios are discovering it is. But you know there was a time not that long ago where big named actors and actresses were resistant to embrace their the roles that made them famous and their cult co- mm-hmm. classic followings and stuff like that. There was a time Jamie Lee Curtis was the same thing. I remember, like in the uh, post H two O days, she said she was done with uh, with Laurie Strode and that was it, and she didn't want to you know do it again. And it's understandable why, but to see her come around now and fully embrace this and love David Gordon Green's vision, and yeah. you're right. I I mean, how can you not get excited every time she does talk about this franchise and this ending? And look, we'll talk about whether or not she survives and Laurie Strode survives or not, but. I think this is it for Laurie Strode as far as any mm-hmm. Halloween movies in the future. I mean, we may get a cameo when Jamie Lee Curtis is like 85 or 90, but I, <laughs> I think as far as Laurie Strode being a main focus of Michael Myers, this is the last movie. I genuinely believe that. She's probably going out after this one, no matter what. So the question becomes, and we'll get into the Deadpool. The que- the question becomes, how does it happen? But there's nothing more badass than this setup. Like if this was a hundred dollar pay-per-view, $130 pay-per-view, I would buy it because we are getting the final fight where it's supposed to be the final showdown in a house in Haddonfield. Yeah. And she has a moment in this trailer where you see her unlocking the front door for Michael yeah. to come in. It's the most badass moment i've ever seen in my life i i i wonder i mean this is this whole trailer this last trailer was just homage city you got laurie being stalked laurie staring out the window you got the bush in the corner from the 78 original got a full glimpse of one of mikey's patented artsy midair kills where he hangs the body up and the feet are dangling off the ground there's one of those in every uh every episode every movie that he does Mm -hmm. i mean you're right this is like a big pay-per-view boxing match that like it's all leading to michael versus laurie which is this is how it should be. It should be one v one, right? In the kitchen, yeah, with knives. Like I, I don't know how the guns got off the table, but in the kitchen with knives. Yeah, I, I, I can't Holy wait. Shnikes. I cannot wait. Oh, all right. So what do you? Let's let's get into it. Who survives? Who lives? Who dies? So we got to start with Lori, and she's got the quote in the trailer that's just maddening. But quote, maybe the only way he 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 can die is if I die too. Unquote. Is that a misdirect? Is she going to get her happily ever after? Or, um, again, stealing your line, is this going to be an effed up Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, I think this is the force, right? I mean, like, it's, 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 it's the George Lucas thing. There's, there's good and there's evil and there's the light side and the dark side. And these are the two representatives of each. And I don't think, uh, I think for one to go, the other has to go with it. So when she leans up 
and makes out. I don't even care if I spoil that stupid movie right now. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if she kissed him on the lips right before she killed him or he died? I just Look, she takes his mask off in the kitchen. That maybe that's what she does. God, one of the worst movies ever. In terms of expectation and result, I just I laughed so loud when that happened. <laughs> then I was angry. I was just angry. Anyway, uh, here's my worry, Michael. She is kind of monologuing. She is making fatal the fatal mistake of taking her time when she's got Michael pinned to the table, dead to rights. Is that worrying you? Like they're dueling with kitchen knives right there and she's daring him in several instances during this trailer let me tell you what my biggest worry is and yes it's along those lines we only see Lori <laughs> in the house I think if you eliminate Lori in act one that would be a massive mistake if you make this finale about uh, the kid in the course. in the sewers and finding Michael and he's hunting the daughter at the end like I, I, I respect the Allison character but this is Michael and Lori if you did get a, get do away with Lori that's a massive, massive mistake that early. The finale needs now, to be Michael versus Lori. What if that? What if there is a misdirect in this movie, uh, to where we follow like Michael and this Renfield character, and then next thing you know, she's haunting Michael for the for the finale that we haven't seen yet. Oh, I think I predicted that like a while. Like that's how or at least that's how I would write it. Like I would write. Lori hunting Michael. That's how the the that makes so the last thirty minutes poetic sense to me. Absolutely, I, I I do have worries about this. Like, okay, so how does that kid fit in? Who and and where's this supposed may, Michael may have a kid storyline or a family member storyline coming into this? Obviously, we know there's a fake Michael from one of the trailers because he had all his fingers and he's stalking Lori. And does Lori commit murder and face a comeuppance because of that? Does this movie become about the murder of that kid? Like, there are red flags certainly. That worry me, but I'm with you. I think the right way to do this, I mean, the poet, the most poetic way is Lori stalking Michael at the end and they both, it's mutually assured destruction on both parties. Mm. That's how I would write it anyway. But what do I know? Mm. I just watch every one of these movies every day of my life. I don't even realize when I'm plagiarizing you now. You, you, you know? <laughs> it's just I don't have many thoughts about many things. <laughs> it's like Halloween, Scream. <laughs> no, it's, we've become we've become one in certain. No, I just that's why I need my attorney present. Well, we're watching times. this movie together, so it makes sense. <laughs> we're going back to where it all yeah. st- where it all started for us. Mm-hmm. This podcast watching 2018's film mm-hmm. we're going to danbury connecticut right. in the imax i was tempted to get something on the like left side but i, I were you mad about wh- where do you like to sit in a theater that's sparsely populated because nobody really uh, signed up for it yet where do you like to sit sparse do you like to sit spar- middle? sparsely i can i i tend to do the ends of the the rows anyway just because i'm a crazy man and i always think of something horrible worst case scenario i can jump out get to the aisle and either head right towards the exit or jump into action and use my large body to tackle somebody doing something bad (laughs) because i've been sitting I, i bought the new york film festival tickets like right on time and i've been sitting middle Every screening, and it's been awesome. Yeah. Like middle of Alice Tully Hall, every single screening. I just, I'm loving every That's single one. That's funny. I've noticed you like middle seats, like just in general. I, I mean, I, I guess do. everyone who does goes to the movies does, but yeah, I tend to mm-hmm. do more towards the aisle. 
that may, makes some sense. Well, we could switch anyway. We'll, we'll more on that later in the week. All right. So Michael, Michael's gonna die. Michael Myers is gonna die in this movie. Uh, you, you, I, I certainly think they both die. What do you think? It's it's called Halloween Ends. I think. I think Michael is dead. No question about mm-hmm. it. She is killing him. I think if anybody deserves a, ha- a happily ever after, she does. I I I, I think she's gonna live. Is she even I'm capable go, of having one? I th- I think when a trailer gives us, you know, that line, I think they're setting us up, and maybe they know that it's you know they 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 know that we're expecting a setup, so they're just giving us. Well, that here's line my anyway, question: it's actually a, what does Laurie yeah. at peace actually look like? Because if like if they're both bloody and beaten up and dead, and the EM the paramedics come and take both people away, it's not like she's going to stop. She's going to have to hunt him down at the hospital. Like the only way this ends is if she beheads him. And like spoiler for H two O, we've already done that. I wonder about burning him. We, we've seen that, too, at the end of Halloween, too. We've seen that as well. Uh, but I think... I, I wonder if there's going to be, like, a pug, public bonfire in the middle of town where he gets burned. <laughs> We're going Wicker Man with this? <laughs> Wicker Man. <laughs> That'd be unique. It's something we haven't seen before. And she, like, ensnares him in the middle of the town and then lights him, lights him up. I, I don't know. I just... I think she's gonna get a happily ever after with her granddaughter but i'm worried like you that we're gonna start the movie in that yeah i really that don't she's want that. hanging out, she's living with her granddaughter isn't she uh yeah i think i really i would look it, it's not to say it would be a bad movie or a bad story but man that would be a disappointment if that if we get rid of Lori in the first or maybe i mean I, there is a chance we could fake get rid of her and she comes back to save the day in act three and we thought she was dead the whole time but i just just build it up. Let this be a fucking WrestleMania main event and just build it go. up. I think keep the main thing the main thing. They've done that with the trailers. That's what they're giving us. And look, I think if I'm betting right now, I think she survives. Okay. I bet. But, you know, you're, you're much more knowledgeable on this. Now, Corey Cunningham, he's a groupie. He's a Renfield. Scares the shit out of me. Is he going to... Is he he scares the shit out of you because you don't want the movie to be about correct him. and that's that's cool I agree is he someone who can emerge in this to to take the baton whether it's him or whether it's some kind of collateral damage that causes the next Michael Myers are are they gonna try and somehow have a spinoff well that's a this? fascinating question right we know David Gordon Green's done with this because he's already moved on to the Exorcist remake. Um, right. It, it, him and Danny McBride were in for this for a trilogy. Or it was supposed to be one movie. They turned it. It might have been a two movies. They turned it into a trilogy. So they're going to wipe their hands of it. So now, do you think Universal and Blumhouse wants to go forward with a Halloween series, a spinoff, like you're saying? That's an interesting question. So Corey Cunningham's character would probably be the way into that. We would guess. Maybe he's if, hunting, if he isn't. He's hunting Allison in the next spinoff movie. But he's got to show his prowess. He can't Shia LaBeouf this thing. Right. I mean, they certainly, I mean, there's a misdirect coming with him because they're going out of their way in every trailer to show Michael choking him and making you think that Michael's going to kill him, but they never show Michael attacking him. Mm -hmm. So there's something going on with him, and that's why it scares the hell out of me. Granddaughter Allison, Andy Matichak, does she she survive or die? You can't have every Strode woman die. (laughs) There has to be a legacy, somebody. Yeah, right? somebody's got to have the final shot of the movie, smiling. Somebody has to mourn, right? 
grandma hero. I would be very surprised. One of the two Strode women are living. I don't think it's going to be Lori. That's my take. Interesting. What do you think? I, I would. I would. I would bet both. But you think they both survive? Okay. Yeah, know, one. One. I, I should. Yeah, let me amend. One or both of the Strode women survive, but at least one. Okay. That's where we hedge. Uh, Officer Hawkins, the cop slash so dead. assistant assistant coach the from most the dead. <laughs> Will Patton, the deadest, <laughs> the, the most dead person. Uh, he shouldn't even leave the hospital. Just be like, I, I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> just roll himself to the morgue in his <laughs> yeah. wheelchair. Stick a fork in me. <laughs> so I, I I could agree with that, and yeah. I'm happy. I'm because they they had so much potential for that character, and they didn't really seize upon it. I hope I hope they do more with him. Lindsay Wallace, the babysat kid from 1978, the actress who played uh, the character, is all grown up, and she showed up in in Halloween Kills and got away from Michael in the park, hid behind. Uh, the the bridge there mm. while while Michael stalked off, kind of smart. One of the few people that actually hid from Michael and got away from it, like like she did at the house back in the day. Does she survive or is she back just for him to finish the job? So my instinct is to say she's dead. But if you do go spinoff land with this, I mean that's an easy character to write in with Allison's world building in whatever movie series whatever you do. If Universal and Blumhouse want to go that direction, right? Yeah, maybe. If she uh, survives, I mean, she you still have an original legacy character who has the the full history going back to 1978 with Michael Myers. Like, do you think? Do you think they would ever pull off like a spinoff on Peacock? Like, are they desperate for to do something like that? Like the. Like the Hannibal like series. I mean, it, Halloween Legacy kind of writes itself, doesn't it? That's an easy title for a um, series. And, and you need some kind of connection for that series, whether it's Matichak or... Yeah, don't do what MTV did with Scream. Don't rewrite the... It doesn't work. Fans right. don't like that either. Otherwise, is there, is there anybody else connected to the first two films that we're, we, we remember? I, I recognize the U.S. Marshal, who's still alive, but he's just got a couple of cheesy lines in the few movies there yeah do i don't you not want this to be a bloodbath like don't you think michael's got to just kill everyone well we wondered about this like is he is he gonna he, there's no way he racks up the same kind of body count that he did in the last film there's no way like we've seen probably that true this probably is going to be more about the showdown we think or the attempt at doing something unique, but I, I, with the and which which you're afraid of with which Corey Cunningham, yes. yeah. yeah. Man, I'm fucking, I'm stoked. I can't wait. We, this movie could be, I mean, like it, it could just be 90 minutes of the Halloween three, happy happy Halloween, silver shamrock commercial, <laughs> and I'll be fucking Orson Welles in the audience giving a standing ovation at the end of it. I don't care. Bravissimo. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he Italian all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that Italians are the best clappers. I agree with that. Good. I had Luciano Pavarotti in my head as Orson Welles, I think, is why I want that. It's funny. All right. Uh, we got a couple industry stories, and I'm glad we had some laughs in this episode. Yeah, this sucks. Because we have to transition to something rather serious. Uh, we And we take it in this direction, and we have to discuss it because... 
this actor has been such an MMO favorite over the years, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. But look, we got to address these allegations made uh, by Angelina Jolie. Something came out a month ago or so where we were privy to this police report where he is listed as being both physically and verbally abusive to his family, to his kids. Yeah, and both Angelina Jolie. Jolie and the children, yep. On, on a plane, pouring booze over them. Apparently, he was drunk. He has since, you know, quit drinking uh, publicly. But uh, there, there's no excuse for the this this level of abuse. He's he's, he's no. grabbed her. He's been physical. Obviously, this is particularly disturbing to us here because you know Brad Pitt's been central to like most of our most popular episodes, whether it's so, Ad Astra so or it's the once upon a time in Hollywood series, Tarantino series there. So like, we're just devastated because he's played such fun characters and he's been such a force for good as a producer. His production company has made these, these time capsule films, right. That have won Oscars or not. And he just seemed like one of the, the, the real people in Hollywood that have been doing good things that just, kind of level level with audiences and not be pretentious and, and still make art that was you know that was that was important and was fun and, and here we have him just with these grotesque allegations from his former wife it's yeah. in the middle of this divorce proceedings that well that hopefully the end. splitting of a winery in france that they own right. and there, there's, there's a custody battle over that it, i mean look it, you know our stance we've we've covered stories like this in the past when victims speak out you have to believe them I, I think you put it best here on the page mike you say and even if in fact brad pitt is innocent of these allegations and especially if he was the person we had all thought and originally hoped him to be then he has and would agree with that sentiment despite his current state i think that's beautifully put i you got to believe these these allegations. You got to believe uh, women, especially when they speak up and talk about uh, uh, power struggles and abuse allegations. And it's just it's so disheartening that, like, you really can't have heroes in this industry, it seems. And it sucks. And it makes me sad. We're dismayed. And I think the like the smoking gun for me, the biggest red flag here is that we hear about him trying to force her to sign a non-disclosure agreement on so mm-hmm. many occasions. Like that's the scariest thing. Like that when I read that I'm like, "Oh, yeah. Like there's like there's no like defending him here, is there?" Now, maybe that's gross. I mean, who it's knows? All he, gross. Look, we don't know. He could be innocent of all of this. Like we want to believe that, but it doesn't look good. And we're, we're men of our word, you know? I mean, believe Victor, there's there's no reason to not believe what Angelina Jolie is is levying right now, and if it's if, if it's completely untrue, that'll come out in in due course. Uh, um, but I, it's hard to believe this is completely untrue. It sounds like it's going to trial. Uh, to you, I mean, when you read about I, it, I would I would tend to doubt it. These things usually get settled, and mm-hmm. especially if this is just a divorce hearing over a custody of a winery. I don't know that Brad Pitt's team would want him to go to trial and have this type of stuff be litigated in the public press. Yeah. Um, so I would, you know, just as speaking, thinking as a lawyer, I, my instinct would be that he's going to settle it. But I, who knows? We'll see in due time. We'll see it with all of this in due time. But it's just, man, this story is not about me or my feelings or us or our feelings. But God, this sucks. Right. 
No, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it feel that way. But it, it's it's impactful for this Oscars race as well. I mean, it's not something we we can uh, avoid in the future, right. even if we wanted to, because Babylon is supposed to be that level of a player, and Brad Pitt's the star of it. So and, and that's going to be a factor. We've seen sure. we've seen issues like this derail. It didn't seem to impact bullet trains box office at all when the uh, the first you know rumblings of the story came out in in mid-august but it I would wasn't say. a first-hand right. accusation that like right. i was wondering like why didn't we cover that and i remember we had we had we talked about it because it was like what is this what where where is this coming from now it, now it's a first-hand accusation i mean mm-hmm. angelina jolie's behind it yeah and, and she's got a great reputation in the town yep so why Terrible. wouldn't I, yeah it's it's awful terrible uh but that needed to be said needed, we felt it needed to be said by us too because of how often we've sung brad pitt's praises um but there's that and it's hard to move on from something like that but let's try and move on here and we're going to focus on we are going super long today mike remember how we said this is going to be a quick hour yeah. uh let's talk about glass <laughs> onion netflix is doing something interesting with the release of glass onion it's really captured your attention mike all right you have a wide release wide being 600 theaters at all the major chains like AMC is in now on this Netflix film. They struck a deal to where glass onion is going to be released during Thanksgiving week where it did 26 million in its opening weekend last or two, two a few Thanksgivings ago, I believe in 2019 anyway, Sounds right. 26 million and then 47 million for that opening week. The original knives out, here you have a Thanksgiving week release, one week only, as a holiday event. Glass Onion, and Knives Out mystery from Netflix, relatively wide, trying to capitalize on some financial gains. And yeah, I am intrigued by this on a number of levels because this is a creative release strategy from Netflix based on box office track record, but also somewhat innovative because... They got to keep the main thing the main thing over at Netflix, and they need Glass Onion to perform on Netflix. That's why we have argued from the time you know, the time that we started this podcast. We understand Netflix Netflix's business model. They built a twenty billion dollar business on the exclusivity of their service, certainly for movie theaters. So it's been, it's basically been something to kowtow to filmmakers and to qualify for oscars that they buy the paris theater and they have premieres and that they release these these uh movies to get their qualifying runs up till now they really don't care all that much about doing theatrical releases for their movies because they want these movies to play on netflix they need to entice new subscribers with a glass onion they need something like this for the current subscribers and they need it to be a crown jewel of their library where people pay to be a part of that library, you know, and, and to have access to that library in the future. It's just a weird move to me. And I wonder if it's a panic after the the subscriber loss that they've talked about in their quarterly uh, meetings this year, which we've talked about and focused on. It's a slim subscriber loss, but I think the biggest issue here is that they are trying to maintain their business model that they've built a $20 billion business with. But they're also trying to show Wall Street that they're going to make serious money at theatrical and to investigate that revenue stream in a serious way with something that should be that should be reliable. 
right? It's a sequel to a film that made its name over the Thanksgiving holiday that everybody talked about over their Thanksgiving holiday dinner if you were a cinephile. And it spread the word to the point where everybody watched Knives Out and it, it was having a million dollar days into late January because it played through all of the holidays and they built up a huge brand and a huge, from word of mouth, a huge tentpole with this sequel now. It's got great buzz coming out of the film festival's Glass Onion, so there's no reason to think that the sequel can't do the same thing. And we've seen this work for films in a hundred different ways for a hundred different years, you know, building buzz, premiere and festival screenings, with event screenings, with platform releases, you build grassroots excitement for movies. And if you can do that at the time where everybody's going to be at the holiday dinner tables together, this seems like it's actually an event release for that one week where you're so not going to... ultimately to you, this is Netflix maximizing their revenue streams. You're not, you're not going to spoil what it does on Netflix, I think. And, and I don't know if, if it's maximizing their revenue streams or not, but it seems like they're trying to have the best of both worlds. And this is, to me, this is the closest you can get to doing real money in theaters. Like if this movie makes 90 million that week, are we really going to be that surprised? It's It made 50 million the last time when it was not a brand. Now it is a brand. You, you have to see it that one week, right? Because mm. it's not coming back. I think, it, I think they're earning brownie points with the filmmaker, Ryan Johnson, and other filmmakers to show them that they're going for this event type of release that any filmmaker would want, especially over a holiday. I think they're earning brownie points with the theaters. They obviously cut a deal finally with AMC, and they're they're going to make st- movie theaters serious money in this regard. And they're, they're having an event that can't hurt the Oscar chances to having, you know, Glass Onion make a splash during the same time that the Fablemans is making a splash after, you know, or, or before Wakanda. Or I forget if it's coming out after it's after Wakanda forever, right? Later. I think it Wakanda, might be actually the same, the same week. No, I think it's coming out afterwards. I think Wakanda forever is mid November. Now I'm confused. I thought Wakanda forever was Thanksgiving week, but keep going. I'll look it up. We have, uh, we have an optimum time though for a best picture contender at least you know for an oscar contender to be released so if it is one of those you know however you know we we fall on the matter who knows this is the right time for an oscar qualifying run so to me like After this is kind of forever you were right yeah is so, the 11th this is optimum for netflix i and i i think uh i think this could be a big deal so netflix obviously relies on their subscriber base to make money if I don't see how giving away their biggest franchises in theatrical, if that's what they're going to do going forward, is going to help their subscriber base unless these are, you know, things that you have to watch again and again, which Knives Out 2 could be. They're making a bet. They're making a bet. Right. It's a gamble. The the fans of Knives Out will rewatch it on Netflix and be happy to do so a month later. And that's enough time. To want, I mean, they've they've been that studying Q4 these earnings call is going to be something to keep an eye on too. I mean, that's you know, come January or February when they're talking about with their investors how much their subscribers went up or down, and they still expect to lose however many million over the course of 2022, and they don't expect the bleeding to stop until sometime in 2023 or 2024 at the earliest. I remember, I can't, don't quote me on that. I can't remember. I'm going off the top of my head there, but if this does have an impact on stopping that leakage, 
then yeah, it's a genius move. But I agree, it's a total gamble. Right but now. here's the thing, and you said it in the pre-production: the leakage could increase by putting these big Netflix subscriber enticing films in movie theaters because if sure. you were well, subscribed yeah, if you're there if you only want to watch these movies once and you're getting Netflix's biggest reveal uh, releases in movie theaters and you prefer to watch them on the big screen I mean if you're on AMC A list and you can watch these movies for you know three movies a week for $20 a month right and you can get rid of the $15 or 15.99 a month Netflix is charging you because you're going to see their biggest releases anyway I don't see how that doesn't hurt Netflix. But then again, maybe they're making on most people being lazy and wanting to watch these things in their home, which I've made the argument for in the past. I think people naturally, if you're going to give them this type of high level premium entertainment for, I mean, quote unquote free, but it's not free because they have a monthly subscription, yeah. but they don't have to. It's not VOD. Yeah. We have the money coming out of your pocket. Wholesale to watch it. price. You yeah. get it at a wholesale price at home. And then. And so I can I, I guess I do see the logic in this more than I thought I would. But I, it is a gamble, I think. Here's what I'm wondering. Are you building so much buzz from that one week, if you know you got a winner on your hands, that more people will want to watch it on Netflix Christmas time? Because you're not because you're not gonna make earth shattering money for Netflix, even if you make a hundred million, which would be a no, enormous not hit. Right. We'll help you on the stock stock market if you could show like, oh, we're gonna make a hundred million with a with a big hit property and we'll keep doing this down the line. And we'll have these cinematic events. And we'll make everybody happy and we'll have the best of both worlds, which is Netflix. Is, that's like the new strategy right now. Oh, yeah, we'll have some ads in some ways. Everybody's like, everybody's trying to, Netflix is trying to serve two masters. I mean, I guess either way, it's a drop in the bucket, right? Because even if this may, if this may is a $50 million opening, that means Netflix pockets about $25 million of that. Versus if they just kept it on, on Netflix for their streaming service and it gains a million subscribers, that's about $16 million that they get to keep. Yeah, it's it's not consequential for right. Netflix. Right, so either way, I mean, it's it's a I guess it's a necessary gamble. It's might, You might as well go off and do this with one of your high premier properties and see what it actually does just for future knowledge. Look, I, I think we, we took issue with a lot of what David Zaslav said back when we discussed the that earnings call at WB. Yeah. <laughs> Zaslav the butcher. <laughs> I, I glommed on to this one fact though. Like he talked about theatrical as a way to build brands and to mm-hmm. build future windows on PVOD and then at home. And that, and that's been a major problem for Netflix in the past. Like these movies just come and go, they hit and maybe they get talked about, maybe they don't. This tried and true window of theatrical into at home. I mean, that that process, I mean, we, we've seen it work a hundred thousand times in movie going mm-hmm. history, right? I'm, I'm exaggerating, sure. but only by a little. But if they can actually find a way to make a one week event release, especially a holiday event for their bigger movies, and and that becomes the new normal for them. That that is an innovative way to somehow appease all these different masters, and yes, to build the brands of their films. And th- like Knives Out, if that becomes a holiday event every every couple of years, and then it goes to Netflix, I mean that's a, that's great for them. Sure, I don't disagree with that, and I also think that it's going to. Uh, kill some conversations going forward in terms of what we do here in the Oscars pundits, how 
there's never going to be another purely streaming movie that doesn't, you know, ha- that can't. There's never going to be another movie on a streamer that can make the case that they don't have to debut in theaters and they're still considered uh, Academy relevant. Yeah, because it's going to be well, Netflix does this, so why can't you? Why can't you go to theaters for you know in L.A. and in New York for a week at a time? and satisfy the academy requirements so they're not gonna there's no never gonna be any more breaks ever again for streamers netflix was the least incentivized to do it though right because all the other streamers are having trouble with their bottom lines netflix is not having trouble with their bottom line right so yeah even though they're having trouble with their debt sheet is out of control but their valuations right it's an intriguing story in that i I can usually feel like I'm comfortable in saying I see the end game with a lot of these things. I'm not sure I know what the end game is necessarily other than information gathering at this point for Netflix's benefit. Well, the hedge is that this is a case by case basis. Right. And yeah, it might work for knives out, but it might actually hurt them if they made it a regular thing every that, month. They're not and then, gonna, they're, they're, I mean, then they're a studio, then they're just WB. Yeah. Just if you do this one or once or twice a right. year, that could right. be wise. Right. Yeah. All right. I'm not ready to sign off on it being a great idea, but I, 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 I've softened my stance a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of it either, but all right. That's that's a lot of show right here. I mean, we got some box office to talk about. Maybe we'll push that to the next episode. We got some New York Film Festival, certainly to talk about uh, much more of that in the next Oscar race checkpoint. Maybe we'll give you guys a midweek something before we talk about Halloween ends and do the deep dive as the crazy fans we are. Because you guys know us. We, we MMO does Halloween, one of our favorite all-time series mini. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a mini-series. It's, it was a, <laughs> it's not, a deep eight, dive. <laughs> it's an 11-part series now, right? And then yeah. at the time, it was like seven or eight episodes. Yeah. And they were massive episodes. Yeah, we uh, cover all the different timelines. We go deep into every single movie. It, it, a lot of laughs, we think, in there, and as the, the franchise was meant to be. But it's, we go into the Rob Zombie stuff. We go into the Halloween 3 stuff. We go into the diverting timelines. We cover H2O. We cover Resurrection Against My Will. Uh, <laughs> we cover The Curse of Michael Myers, both the theatrical and producer's cut in there. So there's everything having to do with Halloween. Uh, we covered it. We should start pushing that this week. I think that series, uh, MMO Does Halloween. Hopefully you can dive right into that playlist and have some laughs and have some good uh, information to prepare yourself and arm yourself to go into Halloween ends with. Yeah, that'll be the words of wisdom for today. Listen to MMO Does Halloween on our SoundCloud feed. You can find that. I think it's like the fourth or fifth down, so it's a quick little scroll. And uh, enjoy. Enjoy. That's uh, It's something that uh, you're going to get a 12th episode in the series for later this week. We cannot mm-hmm. wait. We're going to be sitting together arm in arm. Mm-hmm. Popcorn next to popcorn. Knife and knife. did you see somebody made a chair with the halloween uh michael myers mask as the back of the chair and they had a knife sticking through one side and the mask on a you know uh, on a on some kind of a whatever setup on the other arm of the chair so the two arms they had a knife and a mask and all i could just see like the, the the sharp jagged knife is through the bottom like if you move your knee you're gonna stab yourself i did not see this but i am listening <laughs> it's like the throne from game of game of thrones you that is the throne i care about who seats who sits upon yes make me an eight season six season series about that please the best friend you've never met 
is, <laughs> is, the, is the person who made that chair. <laughs> uh, guys, as always, we want to know your thoughts, certainly about Halloween ends, the death pool in it. Who do you think lives? Who do you think dies? Uh, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we did here in this episode. Have you seen Tar yet? Do you agree with Mike or also Mike about its uh, polarization as well as its acceptance on the Academy level? What do you think about the trailers for Women Talking Till and everything else we covered in this episode? Let us know all that as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out a ton. Thank you very much to everyone who has done so thus far. You heard the words of wisdom already. Uh, we told you what's coming next. You'll be getting hopefully three episodes from us this week, including a New York Film Festival deep dive and a Halloween Ends review deep dive. Uh, Mike, I, 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 do I have to throw to you? Are you done? I, this is no, a weird ending for us. I, I right. kind of jumped it because I we yeah. had... Well, look, we got more to talk about the next Oscars checkpoint when you probably need to this week. And yeah, so we'll record like tomorrow night, I guess, and do another one of these. There so yeah. And then it's wise to listen to our Halloween stuff, which I'm going to do myself because I, I, <laughs> I miss those days. Me too. Me too. We were young mm-hmm. and foolish then. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come sit on that knife Halloween mask thrown with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make a horde season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.